This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hello, everybody. Caleb here, welcoming you back to the Maybe You Like It podcast. We've been away for quite some time, but we are returned now with a little mini-series that we're calling Spook Toberfest. That's right. For the next four weeks, we will be taking a look at and staging four spooky movies in our hypothetical theatre. This first episode, uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, with Dan Dawes was recorded way back in June before we knew we were going to do this little mini-series. So there's no reference to the mini-series beyond this point right here, but there is reference to it being a balmy June evening and to some other sort of slightly outdated COVID things. So bear with us, but I hope you enjoy the episode. Well, this is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe like it, maybe don't. Hello, I'm Jake, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take plays, films, and more that have never been staged before or have never likely to be staged again, and we talk about how we'd stage them. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello. And this week, we are joined by a writer and producer, and he's the artistic director of Idol Discourse. It's Dan Dawes. Hello. How's it going? Good, good. Yeah, how thanks, are you? Dan. I'm... I'm, I'm boyishly excited about this right i don't know if i can can i can i say the name of the film already is that is that like a kind of spoiler Go for it, thing just, yeah let's right. know, let's so we're doing it. nightmare before christmas right and and it's and i guess right the listener needs to know that it's june and quite a balmy <laughs> evening i guess right we are doing a christmas film but i've got into the spirit of things by closing the curtains i've got a green shirt on red shorts my favorite father christmas socks uh, and and a nice big uh, tot of whiskey to get us going for this. So I get myself in literally the Christmas spirit. So I, I'm really looking forward to this. That, I feel like I need to go and get a drink now. I think <laughs> you should. Uh, Some but, eggnog somewhere. Well, yeah. Before we, we dive in, uh, Dan, why don't you let our listeners know a little bit about what sort of work you create and what you're up to at the moment? Well, the, the reason why I'm so interested in this film is because it's eminently theatrical and I kind of love that sort of stuff. So, you know, I don't like to go too much into details in what, what schools of thought you, you, you follow as, as a theatre maker, but I'm pretty closely lined to somebody like Brecht, I guess. I'm not afraid to sort of go, look, this is a story. We all know it's a mm. story. We're sat inside a theatre. Let's just, let's just go with it. Um, that tends to be the approach I take to productions. Not not deliberately, really. It just sort of comes out in rehearsals and that, that's what I end up sort of doing, that, that kind of approach. So stuff that is uh, overtly theatrical, I find particularly appealing. Brill, yeah. And and what are you up to at, at the moment? Are you, are you making anything? Well, blimey. I mean, yeah, it's, it's uh, we're just emerging from, I don't know how many lockdowns you've been in now, but it seems yeah. about 17. Um so there's a few things in the pipeline. Yeah, I've been doing quite a lot of online work. I've been doing a really weird thing where I, I, I've i got a bunch of actors playing online interactive fiction games and we broadcast them um, via this app. And that's that's kept me really busy, actually, because we've sort of yeah. had to really sort of professionalise what we do and we get paid for it. So it's, it's really fun, actually. Um, so I've really thrown myself into online work. Um, mm. But there's some quite potentially quite big theatre projects coming up later on in the autumn when hopefully, touch a large amount of wood, um, that uh, hopefully I'll be able to go ahead with those and not not be curtailed too much by positive coronavirus cases or you know lockdowns and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Bro, let's just get straight into it. Yeah, we're, we're we're doing Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, ri- well, based on his story, uh, written by Caroline uh, Thompson and Michael McDowell, with music from Danny Elfman, starring Danny Elfman's voice singing and uh, as well as Chris Sarandon, Catherine O'Hara. Dan, could you give us a rundown of the plot of this film? I certainly can, but look, so so the opening shot, not that I'm going to go into this much level of detail, <laughs> shot, a shot by shot breakdown of The Nightmare Before Christmas with, with Dan Dawes. But, but it, it starts off and we, we, we see a view of um, a wood, like a little sort of, uh, it's animated film, we should, we should say as well, uh, stop motion animation. We see this, this sort of spooky wood looking thing. And then we see a, a circle of trees and on each tree, is carved a door uh, and we sort of we zoom in towards them and we see various different holiday symbols i guess kind of um carved into this wood so we see a an easter egg we see um a thanksgiving turkey we see a christmas tree and we also see a pumpkin and we we go into this pumpkin face on the on the tree and i just want to read you 
the opening passage of the, if, you, if you if you don't mind if you if, no, if, you, please, if you can please, permit please, me to read this right because i love this and this <laughs> as opening, long as you're willing to live up to patrick stewart's voice <laughs> well this is it right yeah exactly so, so it's, it's, it's such an iconic opening and i think it just it, it and the reason i want to make a point in this is because it, it just sets up what the film is perfectly i think and actually mm. it links in with so tim burton originally wrote a poem um, which the film is based on in 1982, I think it was, and eventually was made into a film in 1983. But the, the start of the poem goes like this. It was a long time ago, longer now than it seems, in a place that perhaps you've seen in your dreams. For the story that you are about to be told began with the holiday worlds of old. Now, you're probably wondering where holidays come from. If you haven't, I'd say it's time you begun. Mm. And we just know straight away what it's going to be about. And we, we go into this pumpkin face and we enter Halloween town. So the concept that Tim Burton came up with is that every holiday has a town and townsfolk that sort of create this holiday. And we meet a load of different characters who see sing this song at the start. And uh, we should say as well, as it's, it's a musical, I, I guess. And we meet Jack Skellington, who essentially sort of rules the roost. He's a sort of top dog, I guess, in Halloween town. Um, but we realised at the end of the song that actually he's a bit disenfranchised of being top dog in Halloween Town. He's sort of got a bit fed up with it. There's there's something undefinable that he's not, you know, can't quite put his finger on why he's feeling bored about Halloween Town. Uh, as a result of this, he goes for a bit of a long mopey walk through the forest that we mentioned before in the middle of the night. And he encounters this circle with the different holidays. And he sees one that's a, a tree with some shiny baubles on it. He goes to the door and enters Christmas Land and discovers the concept of Christmas from nowhere. This guy who lives in Halloween town and creates Halloween for everybody on, on the planet suddenly discovers Christmas, but doesn't really understand it. He eventually goes back to Halloween town and tries to explain the concept of Christmas to all the townsfolk. They don't get it because they're swamp monsters and they're witches and vampires. They don't understand the concept of, of joy. And he goes away and has a bit of a, has a, bit of a think about this. And, and it, the film becomes really interesting at this point because essentially it becomes a sort of um, uh, like an intellectual study of, of what holidays are and almost like what joy is, this sort of undefinable element of what, what Christmas means. And part of the reason why I love this film is because uh, my, my brothers and I, so I have three younger brothers and, and every Christmas and every Halloween, we'd sit down to watch The Nightmare Before Christmas. So I sort of grew up with this film really, and, you know, and associated with sitting around my brothers and, and Christmas time. And Jack Skellington's trying to figure out what Christmas is and just can't, can't grasp it. But he decides instead what he's going to do is he's going to create Christmas himself within Halloween Town. He then goes about putting the wheels in motion to kidnap Father Christmas, <laughs> Santa Claus, which, which he does. And he keeps him with this weird character called Oogie Boogie. He's this really odd kind of like, <laughs> he, he sort of like runs this weird dark casino and ensnares Father Christmas, um, which, is, which is really fun. Jack then sort of takes on the role of, of Santa Claus. Uh, and, uh, and we hear him trying to sort of recreate the ho, 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 of Father Christmas, ho, 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 and just not quite understanding, not quite getting it. And he goes off and he starts dropping presents around in the, in the real world. But these presents have been manufactured by all the Halloween townsfolk, uh, and they've got things wrong. So instead of a nice doll, these, these children end up with a severed head, or instead of a little toy, a toy train, they end up with a, a giant snake that eats an old lady. So they've got all these presents wrong, basically. It all falls apart. Uh, can we swear on this? Sure. Because well, it all yeah, goes go fucking it. tits up, right? <laughs> Jack Skeleton has fucked it all up. He has an epiphany, realises he made a big mistake, goes and rescues Father Christmas, brings him back. Santa Claus forgives all. Jack Skeleton realises that actually being top dog at Halloween Town is pretty cool. And at the end, uh, Santa sends this beautiful flurry of snow in Halloween Town, which they'd never seen before. And, and all is resolved with the world. So it's got a beautiful mm. ending and it's just a wonderful, magical theatrical story. I love it. Awesome. Thank you. And the only other thing worth mentioning, I think as well, is there's there's a sort of subplot of uh, Sally, yes. who is a sort of Frankenstein's monster type uh, person made of like leaves. I, I think, think she's like a sort of rag doll. Yeah. 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 Kind of brought to life by this evil scientist. And she um, just the whole like first half of the movie, she just spends all her time poisoning him with night. <laughs> is it nightshade? That he can- deadly yeah, nightshade. Deadly, deadly nightshade. nightshade. Which makes him like, go to sleep. That's the last <laughs> time you're going to poison me with deadly nightshade each time. Um, and then, and so she kind of is escaping 
a, yeah, this sort of Dr. Frankenstein type character and also falls in love with Jack Skellington at the end. And it's kind of a, a happy ending in that. Yeah, way absolutely. Well. Yeah. Brill. Look, just before we stage it, I think it's worth mentioning. I, I did a, a little bit of research because when I watched this film, I thought, how has this not been staged before? And essentially professionally it hasn't, but, uh, uh, someone called Susan K Morgan in Korea did an Indiegogo campaign and actually staged this a few years ago. Oh, that would completely pass you by now. Cause there has been some attempts yeah. before. There's like a clip of a guy singing a song in like a workshop that they, yes, you know, tried yeah. to get started. Oh. And, and, and yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. There's also potentially uh, some few different sort of sequels have been mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't yeah. heard about this Korean version. That sounds yeah, well, someone, and it sounds like they did stage it already. <laughs> Well, the only evidence we could find was an yeah. Indiegogo page, which raised right. about a grand, and then, um, and then just on the kind of updates part, there was like a ticket link from a couple yeah. of years ago. So, oh, yeah. other than that, it's a but mystery. As but... far as I'm aware, all the versions I've found have been very unofficial yeah. and very much just people like having their own go at it, which is what we're going to do today. Um, but yeah, so I just thought I'd mention in, in case people say, "Well, this has been staged before." Um, it has, but we're we going to just sort of go with it because I don't think there are. There isn't an official Disney staged music. No, and look, getting the rights from, look, I've got history. I've been bumped twice by Disney on projects where, oh. where, where <laughs> Mickey Mouse has put me down. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm not allowed to go into details of those scenes because they're sort of relatively big projects. That might happen again one day, but Mickey Mouse has already got on my wrong side, right? So I'm, I'm angry. <laughs> so basically what I'm doing is I'm taking out my aggression uh, on yeah. the mouse through doing this and imagining this production, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> well, we have we have a, a scene in our in our show redacted arachnid in which mickey mouse literally literally does that (laughs) (laughs) the thing is is that i'm i am surprised it hasn't been staged because it seems like it's already a musical but on the other hand i'm not that surprised just because what is it about halloween is it about christmas do you when do you put it on it's i I can kind of see a producer going how how do i sell tickets to this all all the way from october 15th through the christmas season that's what you do the the whole lot i think so yeah but i think also some of those people struggle because it's quite dark and i remember um Mm. Uh, I mean, I think Disney didn't quite know what to do with Tim Burton's concept when they when he first came up came to them with this in, what, in the early eighties, um, and I, I, they they didn't even put their name to it. I don't think for a while until they got a bit of a cult following. And, and I remember reading, it's probably going to show my age here, but my mum used to buy the TV Quick back in the day, where it's sort of a TV schedule. And I remember looking there once and and this, and saw Nightmare Before Christmas was on, was on telly, but it was on at midnight. And it said, yeah. uh, "Do you not, it said this is not suitable for children." Well, bollocks! It's 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 a kids' film ostensibly. <laughs> like it's a really fun kids. It's very dark, but uh, kids love. I used to be a teacher, and you know, kids they love kind of dark humor and stuff. And and it's 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 eminently fun. And so I don't really mm. understand why it's not been built as a, a kids' film either. Um, I think it works for for all ages in in a very genuine sense. I know that said quite a lot, but I think anyone could, could love it. So, Caleb, I want to know. So, you watched this, this film for the first time today. What did you think of it as a, as, a, as a film? I really enjoyed it. I just thought it was so much fun. I thought the obviously the stop motion animation is just gorgeous, and there's so much of it that is. You know, I'd never seen it, but there were images in it that I recognised because it's visually just iconic, right? But I just thought the music was really just. Yep, good fun. I thought all the characters were really vivid. And the whole thing is just like a really fun ride. Like you said, in some ways, there's not like this crazy amount of plot. The characters are relatively paper thin because they're just sort of these stereotypes of characters we know from holiday mythology. But the film itself is just... Yeah, I I just really I had a good time. I had a smile on my face the whole time I was watching it. So, yeah. Should we think about putting it on stage then? Yes. Well, I was going to, I was going to say something about music, but we'll come to it later. Okay, um, so Dan, Caleb and I had a little chat before and we've realized that as, as might happen with podcast hosts, sometimes we've become a little bit of a hive mind and our ideas are essentially the same and maybe a little bit boring. All right. You sing. That's a, nice. A, a li- yeah, we have, birdie, yeah, yeah. yeah, we have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 <laughs> A solidarity, man. I like that. A little birdie told me you have four ideas, so maybe <laughs> yeah. we should we should start with with some of yours. Well, I don't want to sort of necessarily, um, you know, kind of infect your thoughts too much because I'm sure you've got some you know, amazing ideas. But I can't help but approach things with a producer's head because mm. I'm used to having no money. So I think, okay, what can I do to tell this story 
with no money, um, assuming I won't get arts cuts or funding or commercial backing and stuff like this. So I always sort of have that, that head on. And the four concepts, I suppose, are based on different levels of potential funding, right? So, but also sort of creative decisions making as well. So you could do this really simply and you could follow the model that I guess the person in career who raised a grant, who would probably get, if you had to get the rights from Disney, that would give you about, about what, 30 seconds of footage, I imagine, you could use. <laughs> so that's not going to stretch very far. Grant, right? So I think something really, you could do it really, really simply. You could just use... Uh, projections at the back of the stage. You could use, I reckon, eight to 10 actors quite easily with lots of doubling. Um, Mm. And you could, uh, uh, there's a really iconic um, image uh, in, in, in the film, which is this sort of twisted hill. If you're listening, stop the podcast now and Google uh, images of nightmare before Christmas. You will see (laughs) it's iconic. So it's like a sort of 2d image essentially, but it's this hill that sort of curls on itself with this beautiful moon behind it. And you could easily just have that at the back of the stage and just project stuff onto that. I think you could easily, easily, easily do that. You know, really, really strip it down. And uh, But you could also do something that's huge, right? If you had all the money in the world, and let's pretend we do, then you could have that big hill, but also make it animatronic, right? So it, mm. so, so, so it moves around the stage. And that's the, that's essentially the focal point. And that's what I do as, as you know, no, no budget considerations at all. You have that as a sort of central prop that you move the actors around. Um, and it could also sort of curl upwards and become a Christmas tree, where it could become a platform, where it could sort of curl in, in a weird way and become Oogie Boogie's little casino. You could do all sorts of stuff with that thing. And obviously, projection would have a live band, obviously, as well. Huge cast, because, you know, why not? We're in that sort of, um, in that sort of realm. You could also do, let's get the third concept, would be to do something immersive, right? So you just literally create Halloween Town, and you create Christmas Town, and you almost do it like a sort of sequel where you're, you know just people actors are uh, sorry audiences are dropped into these worlds to explore them, and then mm. I, I love this idea at the end of bringing the audience together into Halloween Town to have that snowfall fall onto them at, at the end and sort of bring everyone sort of coalesce at the end. But the fourth one I think, which is possibly the most realistic, is to go all out with, with puppetry because mm. these characters are so mad and so big and bold. I wonder whether you just you go all out with puppets, you know, sort of similar style to something like Avenue Q, where you've got sort of you know hand puppets essentially. But you can have different scales of puppets as well. You could have giant puppets that come on a little bit like in Harry Potter um, at the end of the first one. We had the big uh, what they call the things that come down, the big monsters, Dementors. Dementors, yeah, they sort of come down. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen that big shape, but they they come out <laughs> through the audience, right? Or you could do. So I've seen some beautiful pieces that use essentially that would cut down your. Um, your uh, set budget if you had little model boxes and you just sort of the, the puppets were on a really really small scale and you had cameras that would to go in and you you project the images of the, the model box these sort of these characters moving amongst them up on the back mm. wall so you can play with different sort of scales of puppetry as well and not just have you know one sort of scale of puppets going all the way through so there are four concepts <laughs> <laughs> that's <right>. brilliant <laughs> no 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 that's so good i mean let's let's start to sort of pick some of those uh, apart a bit and sort of understand what's going on underneath. Yeah. I mean, let's, well, I think maybe the best way to just sort of do this episode is just to work through each of those four ideas. Cause one of those ideas is basically the idea Jake and I had, which is a sort of traditional big scale, large budget proscenium march type show. Yeah. And that's kind of the idea you're talking about with the the hill being a massive animatronic and stuff. I think that kind of fits the bill there. Um, So why don't we start with this sort of like fringe theater projected, sets eight cast member type show i mean what are we looking at what are the some of the challenges do you think but also what are probably some of the freedoms that that allows for in in putting this on well i think because it's so theatrical and this is what i come back to a lot i mean i, I direct a fair amount of shakespeare as well and obviously you know shakespeare's very good at saying we ain't in fucking france guys just <laughs> just you know suspend your disbelief for a bit um and and that's what we'd have to ask the audience to do for this as well and because yeah. it's so theatrical you just accept it you know this is a story so it's okay and you've got you've got lots of locations but actually when you break it down, there aren't that many. If you sort of think about things in more macro scale, you've got, I mean, I think you've got about eight or nine, or I wrote them down, I won't go through them all, but um, you could you could easily sort of create a few 
denotations, I suppose, of, of place in a small fringe production have a cast yeah. that is, that's, you know, sort of very fluidly uh, multi-role. And you probably just have Jack Skellington really as the consistent role because he's pretty much omnipresent throughout it. And there's, there is there is a song, I think, that Sally has on her own, but Jack is essentially the sort of core character. Um, so I think that's what you do, just sort of keep it really, really simple and make a point of saying, this is a story, go with it. I think that's fine. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the film is almost sung through. There's there's large sections where we go without any spoken dialogue for for quite a while. And it's not very long either. It's about 75, 80 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, to me, like that fits what a, a fringe show could be quite easily. And and you, you, almost, you almost perform it more like a sort of, like almost like a concert of the songs, but with the sort of these performed scenes in between that kind of give us the story. Well, well, concert versions have been done before. So I saw a concert right, version right. Um, a couple of years ago. Uh, my wife took me as a treat because that's, <laughs> she knows me well enough. So. <laughs> a <laughs> trick or treat, perhaps. Oh, oh very, good. very good. Now very we're cooking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, um, so, so that's been done as a, as a conservation. They sort of went all out with that and they projected the film at the same time. Oh, awesome. in the headlight. So Danny Elfman kind of basically hosted it as, as, as well as sort of being in it. It was, it was fantastic. But, but I think you're right in the, that would be the way you do it. And you, uh, to keep budgets down, you probably pre-record all the music and that would make perfect sense, I think, to do as, as a proper stripped down production. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. The, the reason why I think this one would work so well is because of the limitations of stop motion kind of doing the work for us. So even though it has this feel of this kind of grand ensemble, you know, this entire city of Halloween and entire city of Christmas, actually... When you look at the animation, there's rarely more than a couple of characters on screen at once. And even in the song This Is Halloween, where we're supposed to be doing a whole tour of the town, we're only really introduced to about nine characters. And those are the only ones we ever see again, because why would they bother making new models, right? Rather than just reusing these characters that we have actually met and they've even had a line to introduce themselves with. And so actually, it's kind of made for that kind of like small multi-rolling cast that makes it seem like there's a bigger world because it, actually the film does that on its own yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's, that's an incredibly good point and i think that that blends into uh one of the other concepts later on which i'm sure we'll explore in more detail but uh, you know in, in puppetry essentially is a version of stop motion animation almost uh, and and using a really micro scale sort of model boxes and and using puppets in that context it's essentially sort of duplicating a kind of stop motion um system i suppose yeah, yeah. absolutely and i am spoiler alert at the end of this i'm 100 percent going to suggest we can do all four but anyway well i mean yeah i think in some ways that version is pretty self-explanatory there's probably not too many problems to sort of weed out and things so mm. maybe let's move to large scale we're putting it on on broadway or west end or something proscenium arch we got all the bells and we're whistles on broadway. <laughs> <laughs> what caleb what? does a character no, i do i do i do sorry no you can't just stop on that call he has a character a broadway character what's going it's on it's just it's like it's a, a kind of like 40s broadway producer who's like okay okay we got a show tonight you oh, gotta yeah, get yeah, the yeah, lights that, ready yeah hey, hey, yeah yeah, yeah, big cigar, like the like, yeah, like yeah. the baby in um, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? The yes, baby yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, hey Tuts, exactly. I want to put a show on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, in fact, if you so, are listening to this around Christmas time, you can hear him in the half hour comedy hour. There you <laughs> go. Yeah. Oh, nice. Christmas time. Was, yeah, um, yeah. But um, a little like, plug there. Go ahead. <laughs> we're doing we're doing a, a large scale production. What is it about putting this on large scale? What are the opportunities here? Do you think? of things that can be i think there's an element of this film like you said jake that is small but there's also an element of this film that relies on stop motion being a spectacle so what is it do you think in it that we could use in that large-scale production that is spectacle that is theater being the most fun and huge it can be i think it just has a natural flamboyance to it really um you know i've said many times before that it's it's very theatrical you've got to embrace that like I think sometimes with really large scale productions, they go all out so much that you sort of lose the charm slightly because it's so grand in its scale. 
And I mm. think it still got to sort of feel slightly intimate. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that the intimacy is only created by sort of proximity to the audience. I, I think this could work at a stadium, frankly. But it's so whimsical and it's so fun that it's got to, it's got to keep those elements. So I, th- I still think you would probably engage engage in sort of uh, stage trickery as much as possible and taking the approach that uh, shows that Harry Potter have taken and sort of, which I guess is not a dissimilar analogy really, because it's, you know, taking something like Harry Potter, which is huge and it's full of magic and, and has that sort of same sense of whimsy and fun mm. and sort of tradition, I suppose, and taking that and putting it on stage is, is incredibly challenging because you don't, you don't want to lose those elements. I think you have to do exactly the same thing with Nightmare Before Christmas and make a point of saying, this is a piece of theatre, this is fun, this is engaging, and not not losing those elements by by just chucking money at it, and finding that trickery and finding that, that sort of cleverness in the storytelling. Right, yeah. I mean, I think there's some key moments for me where there are there are opportunities for two sets to be the same without without changing anything, but changing little things that don't cost very much. So, for example, uh, going from Halloween Town to Oogie Boogie's sort of lair, I think all you have to do is just paint the set with UV uh, paint yes. and then you just turn on some UV lights and then you're in U- Oogie Boogie's lair. And I think that's that's already in the film. It's done for us. But I think that would be such a great moment where suddenly like just everything switches gear. And that's a moment where the plot kind of engages a bit as well. And I think it would just be really fun to just bring something that would look, I think, in a space, you know, you're in a darkened theatre and then suddenly everything is lit up. Everything that was previously this dark, gloomy world. I think there's moments like that where having a large scale production but also like you say not relying on the fact that we have money relying on the fact that you you can do anything you want but still finding shortcuts finding tricks to uh draw the audience in i think there's there's certainly loads of opportunity in this film to do that well yeah i think color 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 is really important as well and in, in the um you know i think you can do an awful lot with the contrast between halloween town the sort of the dark earthy colors and that and then suddenly going you know it's a similar transition i guess to what you're talking about going from halloween town to, to the uv light of the casino and that's mm. quite a simple switch, but it's going to look really effective. You do the exactly the same thing, I think, between the switch between Halloween Town and Christmas Town, and suddenly you go from these earthy colours to sort of pastel bright, or you know, bright colours anyway, and so the white of the snow, which you haven't really seen before in Halloween Town. A white is only ever really used in contrast to black. It's black and white, very monochrome, dark world into something that's much more bright and fairy light ridden. And you can do so much with just playing with the colour palette, I think, of, of the film. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that troubles me about the, the large scale one is is the characters themselves and the look and also and also the set in terms of the look and feel of it creating that sort of what the stop motion is able to do, which is these characters that we fully believe, even though they kind of made me move in a kind of slightly odd way and they have these weird Tim Burton-y proportions, that they, you know, they look like they are skeletons and they do really, the arms really do fall off and stuff like that. And actually, I well, I, I guess my question is, with with all the money in the world, I still don't think it's obvious, but I'm sure there's an answer that one of you has on how we kind of achieve that. And I think the comparison... I would draw here is Tim Burton's own Beetlejuice, um, which has been made into a, mu- a musical on stage. And as you've said, there's there's all they have these these massive set changes, which they do in various different ways. One of them is just they just have two or maybe even three of the same set with different paint on that they move in and out, which is just incredible. But yeah, you've got these kind of like big spectacle moments that seem impossible even with infinite money, like um the Oogie Boogie Man his skin falls away and he's made of bugs and the bugs all fall yeah. to nothing and then there's nothing there. Um, if there's actually a, de- uh, there's a deleted scene where instead of that happening, the Oogie Boogie man rips away and it's the doctor inside in the wheelchair. Wow. And he, he is the Oogie Boogie man. <laughs> um, but apparently Tim Burton hated it. So it does, <laughs> it does, it's, it, it's lost to history. Um, but yeah, I, I, so that whole thing with design any kind of ideas there well yeah i mean i think it's it's difficult right i mean the the oogie boogie moment where it, where it all sort of falls apart is probably the only moment i'm looking at and going oh christ how on earth do i solve yeah. that um but i i firmly this sounds gonna sound like a politician's answer right but i firmly believe that when you have challenges that's when the best creativity comes out and i think there's a, there's a, 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 there's a terrible isn't it i should go and you know be the next matt hancock um maybe not um yeah and i i think it's a massive challenge, but there's there's so much you can do. And, and, and as you've already said, Kayla, the, the UV setting for that, I think, can really help. Because actually, at that particular moment, we go from UV light 
into it's almost like Oogie Boogie's like lost his well lost his boogie I guess lost his funk because we go from that UV lighting into something much darker so I think there's an awful lot you can do sort of light trickery with projection and again I think so another reason why I think going going really massive scale, I'd probably do what you've seen the Lion King, right? The way they do that, and that all the all the actors that have these huge sort of headpieces, and they have these, there are actors on stilts and stuff like that. I do exactly the same thing for this because you're right about the um, the dimensions of the characters as well. You don't want to lose that sort of Tim Burton odd feel about these characters in Halloween Town, especially, and the contrast between Christmas Town, where you know you get sort of elven figures, but they're sort of more humanoid than the ones we see in Halloween Town. So I'd really play with proportions of characters and I'd play with essentially kind of static puppets, I suppose. I know we're going to talk about puppets later on, but these huge headpieces. And with Ugu Big, I, I imagine uh, uh, somebody in, in, a, in a massive suit, like a, a big sort of, almost like a big fat suit, I guess, which yeah. could be pulled away. And you, you could have an effect of something falling out of that from from a small location, almost like I guess like a like a human pinata or something. And <laughs> you you pull at that, and with clever light trickery, I think there's a way of, of of making that appear really cool. I think even like strobe lighting could do enough to sort of hide exactly what's going on. If you can rip a suit open and and bugs fall out or what looks like bugs, that actor can get out of there whilst the strobe is happening. I think that that's. To me, that seems quite possible. It, it, not a perfect solution, perhaps, but something that would at least work. Yeah, I think I think that's a good way towards that solution. Uh, so were you saying that, so for example, like Jack, you know, in the film, he is a skeleton and his head is like, the, like he has lots of moments where he like he really mal, like his, uh, his jaw is really malleable and he makes his scary faces and things. Would you suggest having that with a sort of like, um, almost like puppet head? Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, possibly. I mean, there is a there is a really famous bit that um, where he says, "And since I am dead, I can take off my head to recite Shakespearean quotations." <laughs> yeah. And as he says that, he takes his head off. So yeah, there's it possibly a world where that can happen. It reminds me a little bit. I don't know if we should go into this personal story, but in between terms at uni, when I was very poor, I, I worked as a mascot for a little bit. <laughs> and I was, I was the, the mascot for the Spinnaker Tower in Portsmouth. And I said, you know, I was put in this giant tower costume and my oh, wow. eyes are, it was about eight foot tall and my eyes are about two thirds of the way up, but it had a separate head entirely little googly eyes at the top of it. And I used to have to limbo out of the office um, because we had a tiny space to get changed into, and sometimes you'd catch the head on the on the rim of the, the top of the door, and the head would come off. You'd have to explain to these <laughs> screaming children outside. It's okay, Spinny's head comes off all the time. By putting doing a similar thing where you have like separate body parts. So essentially, you've got an actor in quite a giant suit. Um, I guess not dissimilar to the puppetry in Warhorse, maybe uh, where you've got. Um, you know, two two actors inside uh, the the horses, and you've got another actor leading them. I wouldn't say quite as grand scale as that, but you could do something similar to that. I think where essentially you've got actors in huge body suits, where you can play around with with things like that. You can take take bits off. It's difficult, as, as we're saying, it's not a perfect solution, but it's perhaps a way to start investigating it. And I also kind of think that if we're playing with this idea of theatricality and this kind of this idea of saying like, look, we know it's a show, you know, it's a show, that's all part of it. You know, even having something like where he pulls off his head, we can still see the actor's head underneath the mask. I think that there is something, if you do it right, there's something quite playful in that. Yeah, it's a little, it's almost a little bit wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We, we know it's exactly. going there, so yeah, it's a bit cheeky, yeah. Exactly. I think there's maybe a way of making that work as well. The other thing that I wanted to talk about, uh, maybe on this scale, is, is the music. Because the music is really fun, but I feel like it's, he's, the composing is going for something timeless and it's going for something that will clearly tell the story in a way that we can understand all the lyrics. It doesn't scream show tunes at me in a way in which I, there's no sort of wow moment and and there's no almost crescendos that you maybe would expect if you're you know paying let's say it's ninety quid a, a, a head to go and sit yeah. in a big proscenium theater. I was quite impressed with myself because the last couple of songs I was listening to it and I thought I could really distinctly hear the Threepenny Opera like actual songs from it and I looked up and he has his on record as saying that it's his inspiration for those songs so oh, I'm great. really yeah. proud of myself for that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but but what what it has in common with that is that the Threepenny Opera is is 
some people say it's the first musical, but some people say it's not the first musical in the sense that it, it, it was a play with songs where it was just sort of, it, the songs are sort of, rather than these big grand outpourings of emotion that moved the story on, they are just ways of saying some of the stuff that happens mm. and some of the stuff people are thinking, which means it's just slightly more, I guess, pedestrian in the way that it, it comes out. And I wonder, is there is there room to write bigger numbers do we cut things do we give more cow i don't know what do we yeah what do you i think, think we do with the music um, actually going back to the lion king that's what they've done with that they've sort of gone okay okay there are big numbers in lion king but they've gone okay how can we pad this out to justify these extortionate ticket prices so they've included new songs and they're shit Right, they're, they're <laughs> dreadful, and you can tell straight away the ones that Elton John haven't hasn't, hasn't written. Um, yeah, they're just not good. So I think I think you'd, and also it's got such a cult following. This film, I think you'd piss off so many purists by by sort of mucking around with it too much. And look, all I can say really in response is, you know, uh, yes, you might get producers that, that get a bit itchy about this, especially because it seems to be a film, or you know, a stage version that would be so um attached to certain holidays but you know essentially a kind of autumn period you'd probably be fine i i've seen enough people at wembley arena um for consecutive nights going absolutely mad for this in the concert versions that i think if you were to do a large scale you know massive theater piece of this in the west end or something i think you'd get enough people come and see it but you know perhaps it is a risk it's, it, it's not your big kind of show tune sort of stuff but I wouldn't want to lose the same level of whimsy. And I think you probably could still build in moments where the action pauses after a song for for rounds of applause. I think you could still have those moments that are slightly fragmented, particularly as you said earlier on, Caleb, about if you take the approach, this is slightly wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is, we know this is a theatre piece. Then it justifies those moments a little bit more. So I think there are ways around it, but it's it's a valid point. Yeah, Jake. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder if there's something in just sort of reorchestrating certain moments or you know, bringing a, a reprise of something or repeating a chorus or something like that could help. I also do think, I wonder if it, in its current form, because it is so short, whether you can justify cheaper ticket prices by running it twice a night, once yeah. slightly earlier and once as a sort of later night, spookier sort mm. of showing. I think there's something there in, in, in it, <laughs> it, it is doable to fit two shows in a night with this, even if you had two casts running in the same theater or something like that. Well, yeah, I was going to ask that. What are your thoughts on when, because I don't really know why I put an interval in this because it kind of rattles through pretty quickly. So that might yes. be a consideration. Would you go straight through and do two shows a night and therefore, you know, essentially doubling your box office potentially? Or would you find somewhere to put as a, as a, as a kind of pause? There are a lot of 90-minute films that have been very easily turned into two act musicals. So I'd, I don't think we would have a problem if that's what we wanted to do. And I think if I was going to put the interval somewhere, it would be maybe this is too late, but there is still about half an hour left in the film when this happens, when Jack emerges from the coffin dressed in Santa Claus. Mm. Um, there's probably a way of moving that a little bit earlier than it is. Yeah, the there's, there's that moment where, I think there's that moment where he flies off with the reindeer and Sally's like, says something along the lines of like, this is bad. Or whatever. I think she <laughs> says, Later, this yeah. is a direct quote, she says, shit's going to go down. That's what happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that could be a moment. I do think, because I think you're right, Jake, in that there's lots of 90-minute film, but this is only 75 minutes. It's so short. This is so short. I really do think it, it should be played right through. And like you say, Dan, it, it doesn't really give itself any breathing room for a pause in the middle. And it, I don't think it should. I think it's great the way it, the way it does it at the moment so i think yeah i would i would have it play straight through and yeah see if you can get two shows in a night and, and make i guess maybe this way. is maybe this is what we're slowly justifying to ourselves that it's definitely worth doing a, a simpler production as a kind of trial run almost a sort of like a, an r&d preview or something you, mm. you put it on a fringe venue for i don't know like a maybe like an eight week run so it's not like your standard sort of three weeks or something so you do it enough period of time that there's enough build up and you see whether it can actually work as a concert where you, you don't put an interval in you see if there's that audience you see if there's that hype you try out some of the more theatrical elements and just see if you can get away with doing a larger scale version this is mon- one of the most realistic conversations we've had on this podcast about how you can actually put something on. <laughs> That's producer, you see, yeah. <laughs> Should we move on to immersive, to immersive staging, version? Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, it'll be big, right? I mean, I'm looking at potentially doing some immersive stuff next year and it, you look at the budgets and you go, oh, fucking hell, how do you, yeah. do you start? Yeah. Because they're so, they're so vast. We've talked on this podcast about like building the entire town for the Truman Show and things like that. I think there is... 
there is so much it, it is like crazy how large scale this stuff is but it, i think there's also just so much scope for like that to me seems like an exciting way of inviting people into theater who probably haven't experienced theater before i think the idea of being able to say no you you know you as a family again i think this is a way you could split it of like you could have family showings earlier on in the day and you're inviting families to explore these whole towns i mean the as a kid, I think that would have just been like such an exciting thing to do, but also doing like late at night, inviting, you know, groups of adults and stuff to, to go and explore these towns as well. I think there's so much there that would, I think it would build a lot of, you'd build a lot of hype around this you've idea. Really, of, <laughs> I've just split audiences into two no, you've, you've just You've just, yeah, you've really got into this idea of like the nightmare before Christmas yeah, after yeah. dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After yeah, dark. Yeah, yeah. The before, nightmare before tri- just, triple yeah, X. Yeah, yeah. After, after <laughs> dark is when Sally says shit. That's yeah, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> she Hashtag she, Sally said shit. Yeah. Sally said shit. No, I think you're right. I think, I think there's a huge potential for that and you know, the fact it's attached to Halloween and Christmas. I mean, mm. yeah, come on, you're going to get family audiences all day for that kind of thing. Um, but it's really interesting. I find that when you try and turn, because there's a, there's a I mean, a, it sounds like a plug and it's not really meant to be, but it's just something that this person's this. So I've written a an adaptation of Charles Dickens' The Signalman, which is a story that's set in a signal box in the Victorian age. And I've adapted it for the 21st century. So set essentially in a haunted tube station. And we're looking at potentially putting it on as, as a traditional stage play or potentially doing something more immersive with that. But what you have to do is completely, you have to sort of rip the play up and it becomes more of a concept piece. And I think it'd be the same with this yeah. as well. It would be a concept. You you are exploring Halloween Town and the characters that exist in it. You are exploring Christmas Town and the characters that exist within that. So that's why I said earlier on about it would almost be like a sort of sequel that you've got narratives running through it, but the film has kind of already happened. So I think if you're trying to tell the story of Nightmare Before Christmas, within those towns, within the within the capacity of sort of two towns that people are exploring, you yeah. wouldn't quite justify it, I don't think. So it's almost like you'll go, right, the film's happened, here are the inhabitants of these towns, and then you, you have some sort of event that brings people uh, back at the end. Well, one see, one thing I'm thinking that you could do potentially is if we're saying this is after the, yeah, the events of the film has happened, you could have once, if you say this is open all day, you could have once every couple of hours, the residents of Halloween Town as in some actors, put on Halloween Town's telling of the events. And we we condense it into a sort of 25-minute show that is just like sung through and quite fun. And then also you have Christmas Town's retelling of events. And that's, again, a condensed version of it. And they're just put on at different times in the day. And then the thing that could bring it all together at the end of the event walking through the, these towns is that the ta- the two towns have agreed that once a year or whatever to show that this happened, they're going to, I don't know, Christmas town will bring snow to Halloween town or whatever. And then there's a big event together. And then you could have a couple more of the songs sung in that moment as well. And so you get this opportunity to have theatrical sort of traditional theatrical performance, but within an immersive space and it's all in world. So it's this, this retelling by the people that experienced it in, in the world that, people are that, that is a wicked idea i <laughs> love that so much i'm all over that because I, I guess it's not not dissimilar really to how disney theme parks work right and that you, you yes you have shows that go on there but essentially you're entering into the disney universe as soon as you enter into the parks and yeah it'd be a similar concept to that i guess and also what's nice about this is because you've got halloween town christmas town it means you basically go to town with retail stuff uh, and and you know flogging uh you know memorabilia and um and stuff like that but also catering as well you can have sort of themed bars and themed uh restaurants and stores mm. so therefore because you've got that retail element again see producer head i can't help it that that bar beer stand at harry potter studios well yeah exactly yeah <laughs> you, you completely i mean again yeah sorry harry potter's maybe good analogy because harry potter world i'm not actually been but i know enough about it that that's what they do there as well right because that helps to offset the costs of the the massive hire of um, the space you're using and the, the huge mm. cost of bringing all those actors on board. But I think that's a, that's a lovely idea, Caleb. I, I, I love that. You've got my funding. Well done. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. The, yeah. the, I can't get the <laughs> image of that scene in, um, I, I can't remember which Marvel film it's Thor Ragnarok. Where, I just yeah. went to the same place. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Let Loki is watching the people do a play of the events of the previous film. And Matt well, Damon, Matt Damon plays is, um, himself. <laughs> I, I've just got the, the you know, your, your broad, Broadway producer kind of uh, image in my head now that here's, here's me I need, a, I need a nice big fat cigar going 
Nein. Caleb, you got the gig. Excellent. Um, no, I think that we went really well. I mean, I, the, I, oh, I've just slapped my knee. That nice. was terrible. Really good audience. I liked it. I keep yeah. that in. Yeah. <laughs> keep that thigh, you know, this is so, so much comedic value in this conversation. Thigh slapping at the end. <laughs> um, no, I think that we went really well. The, the, I will mention, and I, I, I hesitate to do so because it's not a good idea. It's just something that is the case. Yeah. That there is... There is quite an obvious sign of secret cinema version of this mm. Um, mm. where you walk through the land before and it's maybe a little bit scaled back and then you go and watch the movie and then you can go and get some food afterwards. And that's all we'll say on that because it's not very interesting. And it's well, not that, well, it's a valid um, point. Though. It's a valid point. Right. Let's do puppetry then. Let's, yeah. Thanks, let's yeah, yeah now you've fucking shat on our idea. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. It's, 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 it's great. It's the only. <laughs> it's the only bit that doesn't work with my bringing them all together idea, but we'll we'll yeah, get yeah. that. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, um, puppetry. What, so Daniel, you mentioned about uh, uh, earlier on about multiple scales of puppetry as mm-hmm. well. Are you saying within one production we could have some big puppets, some small sort of like yeah, much smaller scale, maybe even like bringing in different types of puppetry, so stuff that's like life, like like wars, and then stuff that's like shadow puppetry and things like that. Is that sort of what you're getting at? Yeah. I mean, I think in, um, I've seen lots of shows that, that use puppets and, 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 you know, I generally really love them and there's, you know, such a rich tradition and they invoke so many different things. I mean, there's obviously there's a huge tradition of puppetry associated with Christmas and, in, in, you know, and concerns of Europe and stuff, for example. So I think there's several reasons why I think puppetry work really well for this. You, you know, you talked earlier on about Jake about, um, the sort of timber and characters that have these weird angles and weird body shapes. And I think it would really help, you know, having puppets for those. Um, and, and I think the idea of the scale would be, so there's different universes that we see. We go to the real world, for example, at one point, we never actually see any adults' faces. It's almost a little bit like, um, I don't know if you ever saw Red and Stimpy back in the 90s, but you never saw real people. You just saw their legs um, mm. You see, like these knobbly knees sort of come down, and, and 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 when they go to the real world, you never see the faces. So you can always play with the idea that in the real world, the scale of people is much much bigger. And then Halloween Town, you go down a scale again, and it's sort of more like sort of Avenue Q kind of um, or Sesame Street style sort of hand puppets and stuff like that. Um, and then perhaps for Christmas Town, you might play with this idea of creating almost like a snow globe, like a giant snow globe. And you 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 go in on this tiny little whimsical town, this little Christmas town. So playing with the idea of scale of puppetry, I think, would just be a really mm. fun way to mix things up and keep things inventive and fun and, and whimsical, as we said before. Yeah, I really love that. And I think it I think as well, again, it plays with this idea of like these these towns having such an identity to them that we can hold on to, but also the whole film is about questioning the identity of that town. Can mm. Halloween be Christmas town and and so on? And I think, yeah, playing with that scale is a fun way of kind of separating them, but also when we then bring them together. I mean, I like the idea of things in Christmas town being so small. Jack Skellington doesn't even know how to scale them up to Halloween size as yeah, well. And yeah. doesn't even know how to make that work on that scale as well. I think that could be really fun. Oh, I really, and now you've talked about it like this, I just, I've spent the whole film being like, what is, what does Thanksgiving land look like? What is, <laughs> what is, um, uh, uh, Pan- there's a St. Paddy's Day land. There is. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that they're, very, yeah. they're very Western centric. There's no, yeah. Ram- yeah, there's no right. Ramadan hole. I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah, no Chinese New Year. No, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. We need to, we need to Yon- Yonkipur land is We need to see that. We need to see a global scale on that now. We'll star a David and cut um, into a tree. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. I just I I really I really love it. I would I would I think I would suggest flipping it. I would I think I'd suggest having the real world with this kind of like tiny place that that we can that the the magical people kind of can come down mm. onto sort of mm. thing um mm. and I, this is getting towards i guess what i've been saying is that i kind of have this idea that if you have these i was thinking more about scale puppets within the characters rather than within the place so that jack can be this kind of quite enormous um lanky um but very emotive puppet um that's maybe controlled by three or four people and then, uh, and similarly, maybe with Sally, um, and we could have a fall apart in very interesting ways with the puppeteers as well. And then, these the kind of 
ensemble characters can be much smaller and maybe with kind of maybe more interestingly controlled puppets maybe there's one person controlling five people mm. and they're all sort of different monsters at different scales and maybe mm. there's the oogie boogie man is absolutely enormous and uh maybe isn't even really i'm trying to think of there's i've sort of seen a version of the pillow man where the the pillow man appears and he oh, has wow. the entire size of the stage um wow. or something some, something along those lines mm. and, and um and there are some kind of animatronic elements as well like you say like the tree that you suggested for the for the big scale musical version mm. or you've got the um the casino elements as well and you've got the sleigh that has to somehow fly along the sky with its skeleton yeah, we haven't talked reindeer. about the flying of the sleigh yeah but, <laughs> it's yeah. all it's all trivial darling it's all trivial. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but, uh, but anyway, I just, I just, I, as soon as you mentioned puppetry, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that's exactly how yeah, you do it. Yeah. And that's how you, you bring in that sense of spectacle as well, right? The exactly. Whole thing, it's unmissable because there's these crazy puppets that do all sorts of different things. I mean, that's, yeah, that's so good. Yeah. I, I think, I think, I think you're right. I think that's probably the most realistic way of doing this, even doing it at large scale, doing it with different, well, literally you know, different sort of scales of puppets would be incredibly exciting you'd, you'd have that the level of whimsy needed and the level of fun needed and inventiveness with those and, and you're absolutely right you could play with scale even within the different universes as well and that would be enormously exciting i think I, I love the idea of those little kids that um kidnap santa all being played by one person who's got them all <laughs> as like one one weird puppet that works all together and they have three different voices that they do for the different children i think that'd be really weird danny elfman plays one of them as well does he really there's a lot of things in this movie um sing the theme tune write the theme tune yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) um yeah i i guess and that's why i kind of think it brings them all together because i i mean i love a kind of little subtle immersive experience for the audience in the at, the at the start of something or in the foyer so i'm thinking you kind of create this world as we kind of come in it kind of come, reaches out into the auditorium in some way if, if we're in a traditional theater space and that that's kind of an immersive element and then i think it would require some projection to maybe maybe if it's just the and it's just the sleigh or if it's to create multiple backdrops um, or if it's to create sort of effects when thing when certain magical things happen. I mean, there's the, we haven't even talked about the dog. There's a ghost dog. Yeah, it's, yeah, there's yeah, a, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, maybe we project a ghost dog like they project Ariel in the version of the play Ariel's in the Tempest. The, the, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the, project, <laughs> the projects Ariel. Um, and and so we've got we've got this kind of projection and the, and we've got maybe less. We've got some multi-rolling going on and we've got the puppetry, but also it's a large scale because we've we've maybe got this animatronic tree or we have these kind of large set elements that come in. And I I essentially I think I think your four ideas are one in the last in in <laughs> yeah, the last I, I, place. I did. certainly <laughs> elements you can that sort of bleed into one another, yeah. Uh, and I think you're right, that's I think that's the most realistic way of doing things. And I think just sort of saying the word puppet from the start as a kind of concept just means you can start rolling with these other ideas and all of them work within that mm. concept as a result because you go, okay, this is a this is a play. This is a piece of theatre that's, that's not real. We know it from the very start. You know, it's why I did a quote at the start, like the start of the, the show says, this is not real. Suspend your disbelief. You're going to have a fun time. This is whimsical. This is delightful. This is joyful. Watch this and enjoy yourself. And, and the puppetry element, I think, would really help with that i think that just brings it all together really neatly at the end um so i mean yeah i think we could talk literally all day because there's so many fun sort of creative things you could do we could talk all day about what you could get out of each of these different characters and different settings and things but is there anything sort of specific that we we maybe haven't mentioned that we want to cover before we wrap up um i don't think so no i think i think we've i think we've covered nightmare before christmas in in our glorious creative snow uh pretty well <laughs> yeah well, i mean it's that sounded incredible. like a euphemism that sounded really <laughs> no, I, right? but I, 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 what you meant was like the finale of the film but that's what sounded. i meant like, but you, well, you can you know read into whatever you want <laughs> <laughs> and we are recording in the summer so snowing in yeah, august yeah, you know, um, <laughs> yeah i mean i Yes, true, we have done it, but also we still haven't mentioned ridiculous things that how have we not managed to mention, like the <laughs> bath that walks on its own, yeah. or um, Santa Claus and the 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 Easter bunny being caught yeah, in a trap yeah, in a sack. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't bring up um, the Easter bunny. Man. <laughs> yeah. um, and and also and all the, the the good thing about the the, uh, the stage play is we won't get the big quest. The big plot hole that I keep kept asking was how does he get back? He fell into Christmas land down a yes, hole, and yeah, then how yeah. does he get? 
back yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that's 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 what happens when you go to the little circle of trees there's also a plot hole that you can fall into so that brings yeah. exactly <laughs> fantastic oh we have it and the mayor of many faces who i oh, absolutely love oh, the two so of fun with him as i as think as making him almost like a wind-up toy like he and and so like you you could even have someone in a in a like a full costume but it also with like a puppeteer that helps mm. and being able like the puppeteers like literally switching the faces as the emotions change as well and again like playful things you can do there where the mayor is happy but starts sounding angry and you do like a little like oh we need to change the face round kind of well, thing again, yeah i mean you, you could easily do something where um i mean i mentioned that the mascot thing before right but in that you had entirely <laughs> you had entirely separate head so you could easily be yes. inside a bodysuit and all you've got is a rotating head and, you just, and the person inside that bodysuit is just flicking yeah. around so it's what i mean by the, the puppetry angle and like if you go this is mad, this is crazy, believe it, then you can go all out with the costumes and, and people are going to buy into it. I'm sure they will. I am so excited by this. Let's go do it. Yeah, let's write. to Write to the mouse. <laughs> go up to the you castle, the knock on the door. We can do it. We've got many ideas um, to present to uh, the mouse when we finally yeah, get some yeah, FaceTime. Yeah. How many <laughs> Disney films have we done? That's a good question. Oh, ooh, uh, How many? Is this our first Patrick Stewart film, which would be horrific? I think it is. Potentially. Wow, really? But, <laughs> well, we only recently did our first Tom Hanks film. So that is yeah. true. Oh, right. Which was that? That what is true. That? We did Sully, which is oh, well, <laughs> not even one of his... Oh, we've got as well. Yeah, yeah. not a bit of a deep cut. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. No, not at all. I, I think you can probably tell by my... Uh, sort of uh, effervescence and the amount of whiskey that I've drunk that I've really enjoyed myself. <laughs> I do you. think I've found with doing this, like after the the year we've had where it's been really hard to talk about live spaces and what we can do in live spaces to be able to just say, yeah, whatever, whatever budget we want, we can do whatever we want. It's so nice to just be able to say, let's just, if we could choose any live space and we could do whatever we wanted, this is what we do. And it's, yeah. There's something quite fun about that. Yeah. Completely right. Let's, Let's plug. You mentioned earlier, Dan, about streaming actors playing narrative games. Is there a way people can see that if they want to? <laughs> you can. It's, <laughs> it's very weird. It's certainly not what I was expecting to do with my with my lockdown, but it's a company there's an app called Dorian. Um, and essentially it's kind of like rom-com stories. Um mm. and uh they asked me to come on board because I I um I've looked to uh, convert stage plays into video games. I've been working with a, a, a BAFTA-winning game designer who, who's absolutely brilliant. And he recommended me to this company. And, and if you download the Dorian app, we do these weekly live playthroughs, basically, of these stories. And, and it's basically an excuse for a bunch of me and my mates to get pissed, have a laugh playing some games online. <laughs> but we're sort of slowly turning into something that, that earns you know relatively decent money, which is good. Um, in terms of other plugs, I mean, it's difficult, difficult for all of us at the moment, right? Because... Every project we get going seems to be curtailed by something else. And it's all very stop-start. So there's nothing that's yeah. particularly concrete. But um, we have some plans for, for some quite exciting stuff come the autumn when we're hoping things will be a bit smoother. So where should people look out for you on online? Where will you be uh, talking about this? So, uh, well, in, well, let me just double-check what our Twitter handles are because I can never remember. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my Twitter handle is at standors 85 and uh, my theatre company, Idle Discourse, uh, we are at idle underscore discourse. So give us a follow on that and we'll be making announcements on there and um, looking forward to when we can actually do live theatre again properly. I know there's, there's stuff going on right now and that's exciting. There's some open air stuff, but when we can all do it without this sort of horrible air of anxiety hanging us the whole time. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. awesome. Um, and it, it may we may decide, I'd, I don't know, we may be releasing this at Halloween time anyway, so perhaps the world will be a different place and you <laughs> so can all go and check them out. Everything we're doing now. Our, our balmy June evening completely <laughs> obsolete. Fucking ruined, yeah. <laughs> no, it will make, make, it, it make it even better. We recorded our Christmas special last year in uh, early November and it oh, no, went I down a to, I listened to the um, Love Actually one. I, I, I caught the first 20 minutes, I think, and I, I wanted to listen to quite a few. And uh, that was Christmas Eve. Was that was that true you were recording on Christmas Eve? Yeah. Oh, we yeah, recorded that was Christmas crazy. Eve. Yeah, because we um, did the sketch show. So we were recording the sketch show up until the 10th of December. And Jake and I were sat editing it through the run up to Christmas. And then oh, we crazy. were like, okay, we need to get a podcast in for Christmas special as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I did not mad. get a Christmas break. Oh, no, yeah, I bet, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was fun. It was fun. It was uh, fun. Yeah. It was fun. Um, brilliant. Caleb, where can people find you online? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Caleb Lebster. That's C-A-L-E-B-L-E-B-S-T-E-R. Jake, where can people find you online? Well, depending on when this goes out, I may have new handles, or maybe I've been saying these for weeks. I'll guess I'll... Whichever one. <laughs> Whichever one is happening. I am on Twitter at Jake underscore Mori. And I'm on Instagram at Jakey Mori. That's Jake Y Mori. And is that all of them? Yeah, that's all of them. Yes. Those are my new ones. Go go check me out there. Um, and uh, otherwise, we are Maybe You Like It Productions and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Maybe You Like It. That's with the letter U. Or on Facebook at Maybe You Like It Productions. That's with the word you. Or you can visit our website at www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk or drop us an email at info at maybeyoulikeit.co.uk and do get in touch and, and let us know, is this how you would stage the Nightmare Before Christmas? Do you have a different <laughs> dream? Dot, dot, dot. Uh, does that work? No, that doesn't work. Or nightmare. A different nightmare. A different yeah. nightmare indeed. And do rate us wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave us a little review as well. And thanks, Cav, for this wonderful theme music that is playing right now. Lovely, jovely. And <laughs> other than that, maybe you like that. Maybe you didn't. That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it, maybe you didn't.